as I uh, as I thought about how to intro today um, based upon last week, and um, I think if you missed last week, what I wanted to share just briefly is from Mark chapter one. We're in a series on Mark, and we're in chapter one still. And I just wanted to read 14 from last week. It won't be on the screen, but it just says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Sorry, ladies, this isn't going to work for me. You all weren't going to tell me you were just going to let me fall. That's what was going to happen right here. I know. I see. I see you, Jeremy. I know what's going on. Um. I'm I'm really glad today and I'm really happy and I love, 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 love that Jesus brought good news. Because if you haven't really ever thought about it, I think Jesus could have brought another something else instead of good news. One of the things that came to my mind and I was just thinking about what we talked about last week is he could have brought requirements. Well, Well, why could he have done that? Because he's God and do what he wants. I mean, he could have laid down a whole bunch of requirements for you and for me and be totally legitimized in the midst of it with full integrity. He could have said, here's the hoops. Y'all have to jump through it and make sure you get every single one of it. If you touch one of the ends of those hoops, there's the hoops are made with fire and you will burn. (laughs) He could have said that he could have done that. And yet we don't get requirements. We get good news. And what I love about that is that we're not we don't have to be so focused and so afraid and so worried about what we're doing, because the good news is it's already been done. It's already been done. That's the good news that Jesus, we lived, how we died, how we resurrected, that he is inviting us because of who he is, not because of who we are, what qualifications we meet, but because of who he is. He's inviting us into his life, into his relationship with him, into his kingdom, not because of what you and I are doing or have done, but because of what he's already done. That is grace. That's the good news of the gospel. Woo! We could go home right now and have a really good day. And if you have forgotten that it's more about who Jesus is and what he's done than about you or what you're doing, remember today. Remember today. Remember his grace today, church. Remember his invitation to mercy and joy that, yep, you didn't earn, but you get to dwell in it anyways. And man, that's good news for me today. In the midst of my day today, where I'm really psyched and happy and I'm really sad and grieving. It's not about what emotional state I bring today. It's about who Jesus is and what he's done. (laughs) Thanks be to God. So all that being said, we're going to get to our scripture today, starting in Mark 1, verse 21. But I have another little caveat before we get to it. (laughs) We haven't even read a word today and I'm already doing it. Yeah, as I read this section of scripture, I thought of a teaching that I've heard several times from a pastor named Scott Daniels. And Scott Daniels, is he was the head of the Azusa Pacific Theological Department 
um, the, this specific university and he's a great pastor, a great teacher. And I've heard him speak on something several times. And as I read this text that we have before us today, it just kept coming to my mind and I couldn't get away from it. And so you're stuck with me sharing it before we get to this. And it's basically this. It, 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 it comes from Genesis one verses one and two, and it will be on the screen but he, he taught about this and it, and it really connects for me because the first week we talked about Mark, we, we, we read Mark 1, 1 and it says the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. And that language, I told you, reminded people who are way smarter than me to creation itself. And if you remember, we said Mark is saying, hey, you know, creation, you know how big of a deal that was? Well, here's something that's just as big of a deal. God came and moved into our neighborhood. <laughs> This is a big, 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 big deal. And so all these, you know, firings, maybe misfirings, as I'm having right now, are going off in my mind about this stuff. And so I I remember what he he teaches about this. And I'm going to get to it. Verse one in Genesis. In the beginning, there's that beginning again. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, for the ancient mind, ancient mind hears and reads this story and thinks, oh, that makes sense because deep waters are scary. Deep waters are uncontrollable. Deep waters are chaos. Have you ever been swimming in the ocean and you're not close to the shore? I mean, I don't swim that well, so I get the feeling of chaos pretty quickly. But there was this great sense of uncontrollable power and just nothingness and just void and just chaos here. And the words here is formless and empty, literally formless and void. And then there was darkness. And the two Hebrew words here that Scott Daniels teaches is in the, that was that this text was written in its original language is tohu. Everybody say tohu, tohu. and bohu. bohu. Oh, good. I didn't even have to ask you for that second one. Nice job. Tohu bohu. Yeah, formless and void, darkness, chaos. And the spirit of God comes and shows up in the middle of that void, that nothingness, that chaos, that darkness. And the spirit of God creates out of it, creates life, goodness, humanity, creates animals, creates all the good work of creation out of it. And it's as if this is the picture that I get. When I hear Scott Daniels talking about this, this is the picture that I get because I, I don't know why I just get it. But it's almost as if it's a prize fight. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, it's like a boxing match. It's a boxing match. And so oh, that's too soon. Too soon. Go back. That's all right. OK, we went back. OK, we're good. We're good. It, it's stricken from the record. You don't remember that. But it's almost as if it's this boxing match. And there's this tohu bohu, this chaos, this darkness this present and you just picture him being big and bad and ugly in the ring. And then the spirit of God shows up within that same ring and they're about to go toe to toe. Now, what's great about creation is that God has no problem winning the first round over Tohu Bohu. Can I get an amen to that? Like God creates in the midst of the nothingness and the darkness and the void. And it's just like he just it little words, little sentences. And he's creating good and, and just right creation. And it's so beautiful. It's beautiful. And everything's good. Round one. It's almost if you hear the bell and the both, both the fighters go to their corners. 
Round two comes as humanity enters the scene. And here comes Tohu Bohu out again into the ring. You think he was done. You think he had fallen to the mat and he didn't get up. And yet he gets up. Chaos, darkness gets up. How? Through humanity. Through me. Through you. Yeah. Sin enters creation. So there's this, this evil force, this temptation that happens. And humanity is like, oh, I don't know if we can trust God. And here comes sin into, into the world. And Tohu Bohu gets really strong at this point. Because at first, chaos was gone from creation. Order had been just created and goodness had been created. And all that God made, he said, was good. And yet Tohu shows up again. Not through nature, but through me and through you. Not through God's design, through our design. And chaos ensues. The rest of Genesis is full of horrific stories. Horrific stories about brother killing brother. Horrific stories about people being mistreated and raped and there's wars and all through the Old Testament. You get this picture, get this picture of Tohu Bohu has gotten really big and really strong. And we're not sure as creation if he's going to be defeated. We're not sure anymore. And then what happens? And here's where we're ready now. And that. Oh, yeah, there it is. And then what happens is Jesus shows up. And I love this. Does anybody know what game this is? Yeah, Mike Tyson's punch out. Thank you very much. So this is Mike Tyson's punch out. This is from if you're too young to know, this is from the original Nintendo NES. Okay, yeah, represent. Oh, okay, little Nintendo fans in here. So this game was amazing when I was a kid. Love this game. All about this game. This is one of the greatest games of all time. But we won't go into that. This is a purist kind of game, right? You can enjoy this game without all the fancy schmancy things that they have now. But anyways. So, so if you can see, Mike Tyson is there. This is the last fighter in the game. And this is what, kind of what, what I picture when I picture Tohu Bohu. He's gotten so strong and mighty. I mean, he's everywhere. I mean, there's darkness and chaos everywhere. Everywhere, even in the people of God, there's darkness and there's chaos in families, in friendships, countries warring against other countries, bringing manipulation, slavery, death, rape, all of this darkness and destruction. Tohu Bohu has gotten really big and really strong. Are you with me? And then here comes Jesus. And and I just love this picture because Jesus is like that little guy right there in so many ways. Jesus comes to an unknown family, into a poor house, not with a whole army behind him, but just this amongst this unknown little people known as the Jewish people who have themselves been conquered and aren't strong and mighty and great. And so here here's Jesus. And you 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 hear this Mark tell of this good news of Jesus at the start of, of his book. And it's like, really, Mark, really? Do you remember how big Tohu Bohu is? Do you remember how mighty the chaos has gotten and the darkness has become really, Mark? And Mark's like, yeah, I know Jesus seems small next to Tohu Bohu in the ring. I get that. I know that. But let me tell you about him. Let me tell you. 
about how he brings order in the midst of your chaos. Let me tell you about how goodness can come even in the midst of the darkest places. Let me tell you what only Jesus can do. And so he begins and we pick up at verse 21. It's kind of like a, a, just a day in the life of Jesus that Mark's going through in our little passage here. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Y'all, y'all, we're, we're about to get to it. Y'all know that Tohu Bohu even shows up in synagogues? Churches? Yeah. Even sometimes here? Yeah. And so we see it here. But we'll get to that. When Jesus went into the synagogue, it was just basically a gathering of folks, of Jews, and they get together and they read the Torah, the Old Testament truth, and they talk about it and encourage each other in it. So they're there. And verse 22, the people were amazed at Jesus's teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. I want to stop here just briefly for a second. I love. Have you noticed that that Tohu Bohu shows up even in the midst of our systems of thought, even in the midst of our theology? That we think we've tied together so perfectly and so sweetly. Tohu Bohu tends to show up. He tends to show up in my own mind, in my own thoughts about you, in my own thoughts about me. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that? Because it does. The, the, the hatred that I can form for somebody else based on my legitimate reasoning. Oh, that's chaos. It's darkness at work in my life. Right. The the thoughts that we piece together to to, to give us excuse to manipulate and to coerce each other. Oh, man, we do that, don't we? We do that in the midst of who we are and what we do. And yet what we see here and and the the other thing that I love about Jesus, and it's, it's not specifically lined out here, but in the Gospels, you see Jesus not referring to anybody else but himself. It's kind of the thing that Jesus does. See, the scribes who wrote scripture and read scripture and were honored for being able to do those things in Jesus day and in the synagogue. See, they would stand up and they would say, oh, on according to the words of rabbi such and such. I think this is true about what this passage is saying, according to or they would say, according to this scripture, this is what's true, such and such. And, and even when somebody would stand up and say something like that, then there'd be the others sitting there and they would say, amen, like we've used before. Amen. We still kind of do that today. Amen. Amen. And just meaning that's true. I think that's true. So when you got an amen from a scribe, you were feeling pretty good about yourself. But what happens when when, when Jesus talks? <laughs> we see this in the scriptures. I love this in the Gospels. Jesus will say, amen, amen. For himself before he says something. <laughs> it's like a Jesus move. I love it. I love it. Why? Because, hey, heads up. This is true. And by the way, listen right now, because this is going to be real true. And he's not referring to any other rabbi. He's referring. He has authority. He's king. He's bringing the good news, even in the midst of tohu bohu, even in the midst of the chaos and the darkness that's happening. And, and the people hear it. They hear this different kind of teaching. They hear what he's saying and how he's saying it. And they just freak out. They say the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law who have to be based on other people's authorities. Verse 23, just then a man in their synagogue, right in the middle of their church, 
who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Now, it's difficult for us who live in westernized culture. Maybe it's not for you, but maybe it is. And I just want to address that for a minute. It's difficult for us to engage a text like this in the midst of like demon possession and somebody shaking. And it's weird. And we've many of us have never seen that or experienced that. And it's difficult. But I just want to mention something to you about it today. Is it really that hard to imagine an evil force in the world? Have you watched the news lately? Is it really that difficult to imagine a force that is encouraging us into more tohu bohu? A force that is saying, hey, darkness works, man. It's great. It's going to be great. A force that is pushing us, pushing creation towards greater chaos, away from the order that God originally intended and designed. Is it really that hard to imagine? It's not for me in my own little world. And I think of stuff in history. I think of like right before World War II in Germany. There were a bunch of great theologians in Germany during that time. And the evangelical church kind of came together and said, the Christian church came together in Germany and said, you know what, we don't think that Satan is a real thing anymore. We don't think it's a real thing. We think it was just more of a kind of a, I don't know. It's kind of a thing from Jesus's day because people didn't understand sickness and all those kinds of things. So we're just going to move on from that reality. You know what happened to that same church? They supported Nazism. Some few years later, they traded a spiritual Satan for a physical one. When I think about back even in history, I don't think it's that hard to imagine a force of evil at work in this creation, right? But how do we get at it today? How do you and I kind of get at this? What's a practical way for us to think about this kind of demon possession kind of stuff? And what I want to suggest to you is this. We're all possessed by something. There's a, there's a famous speech by David Foster Wallace. And I'll just read a little excerpt from it to help us with this. It says this. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everyone has to worship something. The only choice you get is what you will choose to worship. You probably should worship some type of God because anything else you will worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. Then when time and age start showing up, you will die a million deaths before they finally take you away. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb your fear. Worship your intellect. You will end up feeling stupid and a fraud, always afraid of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. There are things that we can love that possess us, 
that end up eating us alive. Let me give you an example. Love your job more than you love your family, and your family will find destruction in your wake. Oh, but I love my job and I want to do a great job and God's given me this skill and this great work. And how much easier is it even for a pastor to say those things? How many pastors do we have to go through who are end up being workaholics? And I've struggled it with myself because I'm doing the Lord's work and I end up loving the work more than the one that I'm working for. And I find that even work in the church eats me alive. And eats up my family. Oh, love your kids. Oh, we got a lot of parents in here. Love your kids more than you love anything else. And what might come of that? You will so suffocate your children that you will not allow them to even fail an ounce. And they will end up being eaten alive by their own perfectionism. Afraid of every little fault and failure. They won't be able to be what you want them to be. Why? Because it has become your greatest love. You're possessed by it. How do I know that this is a thing? Because I've been possessed by a few different things. When I was in college and when I graduated college, I was possessed by the need to be loved in a, in a relationship with a woman. I mean, I absolutely was possessed by it. And I was totally unaware that it had gotten to that point. <laughs> Isn't that kind of a funny thing about being possessed by something? Oh, yeah, I went to church. Oh, yeah, I proclaimed Jesus. I knew all the songs. I raised all my hands at the right points. I even clapped on beat. Some of you, that's hard for you. But I can do that. That's right. I had all of the qualifications and yet in the middle of my little life, I was possessed by a love that was greater than my love for Jesus himself. And it was eating me alive. I had this lust in my life. I was doing things that I promised myself that I would never do, that I would laugh at others for for making those kinds of sins. But, you know, when you're possessed by something, it takes over. And all of a sudden you find yourself not making decisions that you wanted to make originally, but you find yourself giving in to that which possesses you. You're actually created for that. You're created to surrender to Jesus. But we twist it, don't we? And so in the middle of that little life that I had built, I was every time I was with someone with a pretty girl and she was giving me attention, I was high as a kite. Oh, man, I was good. God was good. Everything was great. I could sing all the. Oh, wait, ready? Armpits. I could see all. I could sing all the songs. I warned you. I gave you a heads up. I could sing all the songs like I was there, man. I was there. And maybe God would use me for ministry. And oh, yeah, Jesus. Goosebumps in services. Woo! And I would leave those services in the moment that I didn't have a dating relationship. The moment that. Whatever girl I was dating didn't give me the attention that I so desperately needed. What happened? All that crumbled. And I was lonely and I was insecure and I was ashamed and I was afraid. I was afraid that I wouldn't be worthy of somebody's love. 
And I was trying to use women to answer that question. I was possessed by it. So you know what God did as the spirit hovered over my little chaos, my tohu bohu that nobody knew but me? Yeah, he started calling it out of me just like he does here. Yeah. So you know what he did? You're like, you asked me three times now. I don't know what he did, Brian. Sorry, this is my second time around. Give me some grace. He invited me to not date for two years. And I got an answer that I didn't like out of that from inside of me. Ah! No! Somebody on the microphone has to work really hard when I speak. No! No, how dare you, God? No, I mean, dating's not evil. Dating's fine. Ah! No! And what was I saying in the midst of that? That this has possessed me. That this is a greater love than my love for Jesus. How do you know you might have a greater love than that which you love Jesus himself? How do you respond when somebody threatens it? How do you respond when somebody threatens your parenting style? How do you respond when somebody threatens your work ethic? How do you respond when somebody threatens your friendships? Oh, I've gone to meddling now. I'm sorry, folks. I'm not. I'm actually not sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Because what came out of that season for me and seasons that I'm still in. Jesus, when he invited me out of being possessed by that, he was really setting me free. He was inviting me out to be set free from the chaos and being eaten alive by my own lustful desires. From treating women like objects, which I was asking him to help me not do. And so he was faithful. And so the spirit led me out. And it's not a formula. I'm not saying, okay, you guys who struggle with this in here, just don't date for two years and you'll be good. And you can move on your way. No, this whole thing is a following. It's not a formula. This is as I follow Jesus, as I get to know him, as I hear his spirit leading me in different parts of my life and different ways of my life. I step into obedience one step at a time with him and he begins to change me from the inside out in ways that I never thought was possible. What would have happened if I was still possessed by that love when my wife got cancer and she was in one year of of heavy treatment? What would have happened to me? I could tell you what, I wouldn't have been able to show up here. I wouldn't have been able to minister. I wouldn't have been able to be the daddy that I want to be with my kids. I can promise you that. Because it possessed me. But you know, Jesus in his grace and his mercy knew what was coming in my life. And called me out of being possessed by any other love. And invited me into a new way of doing life and set me free. That when the storms come in life, I'm possessed by him. And what's so great about Jesus, he never changes. What's so great about Jesus, he actually forgives and offers mercy. And peace. What do the other loves offer that's better than Jesus? 
I mean, if I find myself in physical allure and in what I look like, the mirror will never forgive. You young folks don't know that yet. Some of you actually do. The unforgiveness of the mirror eats us alive when we make it our greatest love. A job will only take, even church jobs will only take, will only take, will only take. They will not forgive. Everything's based on performance and what you've done for me lately. And the kingdom of God is completely different. Your work will eat you alive if you make it your first love. Make Jesus your first love and he will bring you life. And he will help you find rest. And he will send you out in your talents and your giftings to do what he created you to do in joy and not in slavery. So my question to you is, what are you possessed by? What owns you? When someone threatens certain things in your life, what's been your response lately? What I love here that we can't miss, and I think sometimes we do, What I love here is that Jesus isn't just showing off how much power he has. The whole focus and the whole intent is for this man to be set free, to have new and good life. The whole focus is new creation. The whole focus is not, hey, watch what I can do, guys. Y'all should be following me. No, Jesus' whole focus is setting us free from that that which possesses us so that we can find the life that is truly life. So that our first love would be him. And Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be given to you. So as he becomes our first love more and more, guess what happens to the other loves? They get removed and taken away. No, they get restored to their proper order. We get restored to what love is supposed to look like. I can love my kids without making my kids about me. And I can tell you that is great freedom when it comes to trying to teach them how to live. I can love my family without always being overcome with shame and doubt. I can have grace and mercy and actually grow and get become a better father and husband in the midst of the weight of Jesus. That's far less than any other love or possession we could find. Are you with me, church? And so. Trusting him. So I'm going to read a little bit more in this passage. Verse 25. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. Yes, he still brings good and order even in the midst of chaos. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Yeah, it did. Verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And note the ancient mind when, when you read fever, if you're thinking about how the original reader would have read this. That's out of control. That's another form of chaos. 
That's, is, that's, a, that's, a, that's assumptions like, did God, is God punishing you for something? Because we can't control this. Or is this just great darkness in your life? It's tobu, tohu bohu again. And they told Jesus about her. So, And this is so key. I hope that you see this this morning as we close. So Jesus went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. There's, there's scholars, people smarter than me, that, that, that call, that, say, that have this phrase, and it goes something like this. <laughs> Jesus has unnecessary kindness. Do you love that about Jesus? Because I do. Do you know what Jesus could have done in this scenario? Given a word, and the demon just comes, and, and like the fever just leaves her. Just a word. But Jesus is unnecessarily kind, on purpose, because it's who he is. Can you see it? He goes to her. I mean, the king of all kings doesn't say, all right, mother-in-law, like kind of like maybe I would treat my mother-in-law. You come to me. No, I don't. But you know what I mean? I mean, mother-in-laws, you know, you come to me, mother-in-law. But Jesus, no, Jesus, Jesus goes to her just like he went to the disciples. He didn't wait for the disciples to come to him. He went to them. He goes to her. And then with all the tenderness and all the care, He reaches out, grabs her by the hand, and simply, in great kindness and mercy, helps her up. Is that not a picture of what we are longing for? Is that not a picture of what we are longing to be possessed by? See, we are looking for that kind of same unnecessary kindness and love in all these other things in life. We're looking for them to tell us who we are. We're looking for them to tell us we're successful, that we matter, that we have worth. And all along, the answer is not found in all of those things, in all of those relationships. The answer is found in the only one in whom we can trust, and it's Jesus himself. The one who will not eat us alive. The one who offers grace and mercy. The one who does not set this bar and you better get over it, but the one who jumps over the bar on our behalf. And then in tenderness reaches out his hand to you and to me, grabs it and lifts us up even from our failure and our self-hatred and our self-doubt and all the chaos that we experience in this life. And reaches out and invites us home. Home to be possessed by a love that will never fail. Home to be possessed by a love That will never take, but always gives. Yeah. Home. There's another breadcrumb here that Mark gives us, and I don't want to miss, miss it. Verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons and he would not. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Theologians call this the messianic secret, almost like a command to silence. And what's really important about this, like Jesus saying, don't don't tell people who I am to the demons. What's really great about this is this this running theme through Mark where the first person, the first human being, because God's voice comes at different times at Jesus baptism at the transfiguration. Demons say, oh, you're the son of God. But the first human being in their right mind to say 
this Jesus is the son of God happens in chapter 15, verse 39. And this is so beautiful because Mark is pointing his whole gospel to this. If you want to see the reality of who Jesus truly is, it can only be seen truly and fully on the cross itself. Because only on the cross can Jesus be rightly known for who he is. And so it doesn't happen. Mark holds. It's almost like Mark is holding humanity back to not make a guess because we'll twist it and we'll mess it up and we'll miss it. And we'll make it about power and might and authority. And we'll just bring tohu bohu even to who Jesus is. And so he waits and he waits and Mark waits and he's in a hurry and he wants us to get to the cross and he waits and he waits. And he's like, and then and then and then and then finally Jesus goes to a cross on behalf of you and I. And that's where a centurion of all people. A man who has watched thousands of deaths, who has probably killed hundreds of people, watches Jesus die. The text says specifically, and when he saw how he died. The crucified God. With all unnecessary tenderness that you and I have ever seen. Dies on you, your behalf and mine. That's when we as humanity can say, he's the son. He's the one we've been waiting for. There's no one like him. There's no love like this. There's no forgiveness like this. There is no one like Jesus. My invitation to you is to be possessed by Jesus today. To stop fiddling around with all the other secondary loves. Because they're eating us alive, church. But to be so possessed by Jesus and who he is on the cross that it infiltrates every part of my little life. That I fall in love with Jesus and that I love him with all my heart, all my. You know that verse, right? That we would love him with all our heart, strength, soul, mind. All that we are. So the fix is not white knuckle it, make more rules. Get mad at other people when they don't follow your rules. That's not the fix. We've been trying that for years. Is it working? No, the fix is viewing Jesus. And that's what Mark's trying to get us to. View this Jesus that loves like no other. Get to know him, who he is, how he brings good, even in the midst of Tohu Bohu. How Tohu Bohu does not win against Jesus Christ in the middle of his grace and mercy and sacrificial love. That I would be caught up in the love of Jesus. And that all the other loves would pale in comparison to my love for him. That's the fix. What if you read the Gospels as the worship team comes up? What if you read the Gospels, not for what information it was giving you, but you just answered one question. What do I love about Jesus here? Not, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Not, ooh, that would be good to teach. That's what I do. No. 
that your affection would somehow be drawn to Jesus, even as you read scripture, and that that would begin to set you free. Because the spirit, you guys, the spirit is hovering over the waters of our chaos and our darkness, and he is inviting and ready to bring new creation out of it. You want some? Because I do. I've had some and I want more. I can't get enough. And so as we close today, I don't know how you're going to respond. You can stand and sing. You can come to an altar. There'll be a couple people up here that you can ask for prayer for. And most importantly, we have communion today and we're all going to be taking communion today. So as those who are serving come forward, please come forward now. Could communion be the, the, the bread that's a representation of Christ's body on the cross and the juice that's a representation of, the, a representation of the blood that he shed? Could this be us saying to God today, possess me, Jesus? Would your love overwhelm me? That all the other loves in my life would fade in comparison to my affection to you and for you. Oh, God, you're good. And this is him proving his affection for you, church. His love for you that did not fail and did not quit. His love for you before you did anything for him.